Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We're on week three of our series, Viral. In week one, I told you that what started as God's desire to connect with one man by the name of Abraham spread to his family, Isaac and Jacob, and eventually to the nation of Israel. And then eventually that love would spread all the way around the world. And that includes you, that includes me. God's love went viral. Then last week I told you that as Christians we have been infected with the love of God. We caught the virus of God's mercy, God's grace. And I told you that we must not allow our faith to become quarantined. Too many Christians allow their faith to become isolated. And and that is not the call that, that, that Christ has called us to. We must get out of our comfort zones and tell people to come and see, just as Philip told Nathaniel, come and see. And I told you that we have some great opportunities. We call this indirect evangelism around here. And we have opportunities that we provide for you to invite the lost into our church. Those that don't know Jesus Christ, we give you opportunities to invite them. And if you get them here, I promise you, they'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in an effort to help you go viral with your faith, here's what we've done. We've prepared an Easter invite on our social media pages. It is now up. It went live during the first service. And so if you will go right now, go ahead and get your phones out right now, go to social media, go to our our Facebook page, Twitter, um, you know, wherever you're at on there, Um, go to our social media pages and, and we want you to begin sharing right now Easter invites. Just, just make, it, make it public on your page and just let, and let everybody know that here's what's happening at Destiny Community Church. And because we want you to have an opportunity to, to express your desire for them to come to our church. And even next week, we're going to have some more social media invites for you to use. Do you remember when you were a kid and your mom would make you bundle up if it was cold weather outside before you could go outside and play? Your mom would make you bundle up. I mean, she would probably make you put your coat on for sure. And, and uh, sometimes you'd have to wear a hat and then a scarf. And, and then the guys, we always hated the scarf because we didn't feel very manly in a scarf. It was probably necessary. We probably needed it. But we didn't want to wear the scarf. So as soon as we get out the door, we'd take the scarf off. And, uh, but if it was really cold, she would even make you wear gloves. And your mom told you that, that she was making you wear that because she did not want you to get sick. She didn't want you to get a cold. And so she would make you bundle up before you would go outside to play. Now, what if I told you that your mama lied to you? What if I said your mama did not know what she was talking about? Because recent studies show us that cold weather is not directly the cause of the common cold. The truth is that when it's cold outside, people spend more time indoors and in close contact and close proximity with other people which means you're in close proximity with their germs. And and that's often how the common cold is is spread among people. You you don't get sick from cold weather. You get sick from germs from other people who sneeze and cough in your face and they transmit germs because they cough into their hand and then they they touch the counter or they touch the doorknob and then you come along and you run your hand on the counter or you touch the doorknob and then you've got their germs and so now you catch their cold and, and that's why so many public buildings 
things such as hospitals and nursing homes and even some shopping centers. I, I love it when I go into the mall and, and, and they have an, an actual you know, dispenser there for hand sanitizer and I can go by and get it. Because if you know me, I'm a germaphobe and, and I just, I, so I, I hardly ever pass one up. If there's something there, hand sanitizer there. I don't like the scented kind, but I, li- I like the regular kind. And I just, I'm, I'm always just making sure that I'm killing the germs, at least 99.9% of the germs that are, that are uh, that's, well, that's what it says. And so that's what I do. You know, this is probably going to be, the end of the service will probably be one of the most awkward exits in the history of our church. Because after I tell you that, now you don't want to shake hands with anybody in this room. You don't want to hug their necks or anything like that. So here's what you're going to do. Uh, when this service ends, only this service, because it's in your head right now. When this service ends, just put your hands in your pocket and, and just give a head nod, you know. That's all you have to do. That's how we're going to say bye today, right? That's what we're going to do. Okay, that's it. If, if it's someone really special to you and you feel like, ah, I need a little bit more contact with them, then this is as far as we're going. Fist bump, okay? That's it. Just fist bump today. Only for today, okay? Because I know it's all in your head right now. You know, Jesus said in Luke 17 and 21, he said that the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. That we've been infected with the kingdom of God. The love of God, it is inside of us. Therefore, those that are not infected with the love of Christ, they must come into contact with those that are infected. In order for them to come to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, they have to be infected by one of us, by, by a believer. Because the knowledge of Jesus Christ is not intuitive. It means you just don't come to the knowledge of that on your own. You just don't wake up one day, one morning, and, and, and on your own know that, that God loves you and that Jesus Christ died for you. It, it's just impossible. It just doesn't work that way. I'll, I'll kind of share it with you like this. You know, you know that this is fact. You know that George Washington was the first president of the United States. You know that because somebody taught that to you. It's not information that is intuitive. You just don't come to that knowledge on your own. Somebody taught you that. You know that Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, essentially freeing slaves in America. And the reason why you know that is because it's in history books or it's on a history website. And you've read that, and therefore you've come to the knowledge of that. It's just not intuitive information. You just don't come to that on your own. And for those of us that are Christians, you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins because someone took the time to share that with you. It, it may have been a pastor. Maybe it was, he, he took the time to preach a sermon. And, and through that sermon, you came to the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And that's how much he loves you, that he would pay that price for you. Uh, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher that, that as a young child, you were, were sitting in that Sunday school teacher's class and they were teaching you about the love of God and and what Jesus Christ did for you and they taught you that or maybe it was your grandmother or maybe your mother you see I was raised in church I don't know any difference it doesn't mean that I've been a Christian my whole life I've been in church my whole life but I I definitely have not always lived a Christian life trust me I, I, I have not done that I'm not claiming that today but I've always been in church my entire life and so I don't know that exact moment when I first comprehended the love of Christ, I don't know exactly that date or when it happened. Um, I, it, was, it was long before I ever actually submitted my life to him and, and 
made him Lord of my life. I came to the knowledge of that somewhere along the way because somebody, either my mom, my dad, a Sunday school teacher, grandmother, somebody, they were instilling that information into me. And so I was coming to the knowledge that Jesus Christ can be the Lord of my life and that he will bring forgiveness for my sins. Romans 10 and 14, I shared it last week. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You see, it's not intuitive. Someone must share this information and God chose us to make his love known. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to John chapter 20 in your Bibles, John chapter 20, and I'm going to read some verses, share a few thoughts, and then we're going to go in a completely different direction, and I promise you this, by the end of this sermon, I'll bring it back around to this text, okay? So, but you've got to stay with me in order for you to understand this and to get it. So John chapter 20, I'm going to start reading at verse 19. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20, and then I'm going to go down to verse 24 through 29. So starting at verse 19, John, 19 uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. And it reads, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, let's pause there just for a moment because I want you to understand what happened. They're, they're in a locked house because they're fearful for their lives. Jesus has been crucified. And so the, the followers, people part of the way, part of Christianity, they are fearful for their lives. And so they are locked in, in a room. They're locked in a house. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He, he just appears in the room. He's just, he's just there. He wasn't there, and now he's there. Jesus shows up. But this verse, it, it, it alludes to, at first, they did not recognize who he was or what was going on. Jesus shows up. They're kind of bewildered, and, and, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows them his scars, his hands and his side. He shows them the nail scars. And, and, and the, the Bible says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now let's go down to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So understand what Thomas is saying. He was not there with them in that room that was locked, that Jesus walked into. He was not there. And so they come telling him that the disciples are saying, listen, Thomas, we saw Jesus. You know, he is resurrected. And he's hearing these different reports that, that people have seen the resurrected Christ. But Thomas says, much like you and I would, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying this. I, I, unless I see the nail scars in his hands and in his side, I'm not going to believe this. Now, now, this is where it gets interesting. Let's pick it up at verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, this is where it gets very interesting to me. It's eight days after 
the day that Thomas made the statement, unless I see the nail scar hands and feel the, the piercing in his side, unless I see those scars, I'm not going to believe this. Now, there's something about locked rooms that, that Jesus just loves. I mean, we just read two passages here where people are locked up in rooms, and Jesus just says, I'm showing up. I don't care if your door is locked or not. I'm coming in, which tells me that there is not a situation that we can go through in life that Jesus can't invade and show up on that scene and be the Lord of our lives in. Jesus can show up at any moment, no matter what you're going through, Jesus can show up at any moment whenever he pleases and he can walk through walls or he can just appear or however he wants to show up in your situation, Jesus can show up. There's not a lock on this planet that can keep him out. And so here's what I picture. I, I, I kind of picture it like this. They're all standing there and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up and all the other disciples recognize that's Jesus, because I still don't think Thomas recognized that yet. Remember the disciples, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus until Jesus showed him his hands and, and his side. So Jesus shows up. I, I picture it like this. All of the disciples, except Thomas, they recognize it's Jesus. And they just all kind of start backing up and pointing at Thomas. Just... That's him. He's the one. That's the one right there. He's the one that needs to We didn't say it. He said it. And listen to what happens. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have enough faith that they, they may not get to see me physically, but yet they still believe. You know, that's us, right? We are blessed because we believe even though we have not physically seen Jesus. We've seen his work on our lives. We've, we've watched as he has, has, has manifested change in our lives, but yet we have not physically laid eyes on him. And he says we are blessed because that, that we believe and yet we have not seen I put all that on the back burner. We'll come back to that in just a moment. When the Christian faith began to spread, it spread like wildfire. This thing took off. I don't know if we can truly comprehend how quickly Christianity began to spread. As I mentioned last week, the followers of Christ, they were willing to follow their leader. He was willing to die so that others might live. And those early Christians, they were willing to do the same. They were willing to give up their lives so that other people could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We always buy into this lie that because we may be small in number that we can't possibly make a difference. It's on a day like today that the pastor gets up, and, and this is an evangelistic message, and it's encouraging you to be evangelistic. And so on a day like today, when a pastor gets up before the church, and he makes this claim that, that you know, we, we are to go viral with our faith. We can change this world. That you get this sense, if you're not careful, that, that we are so small in number, and the world is so large and so wicked, that, that we could never possibly even even make a dent in it that we could not change anything about this world because we are we are just outnumbered and we buy into this lie that we but, but because we are small in number we can't possibly make a difference the early church i'll remind you they were small in number but they were large in their faith 
They were small in number, but man, they had great faith. And, and, and understand that thousands, thousands, 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, stood on a hillside and listened to Jesus teach. They listened to his words. Thousands heard him preach, but only 120 of them were committed enough to listen to his words and to go and wait in an upper room in Jerusalem to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thousands heard the message, but only 120 were willing and, and committed enough to go wait, tarry in an upper room for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall on them. Acts 1 and 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power. You hear that? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You, you see how it went viral, right? He says, you are going to be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it's going to start right here in our city of Jerusalem. But it is going to spread to Judea, to Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when the Holy Spirit empowered those 120 people, they walked out of that upper room with great boldness. And Christianity at that moment began to go viral. You see, there's a difference between what happened in the Old Testament where God's love went viral when we watched it spread from one man and, and go through all the, the, the generations. But now we're seeing Christianity, the love of Christ. We're watching it go viral. And he said, I'm going to use the Holy Spirit to empower you. And, and let me just say this. I'm just going to throw it out there. We, we misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit so often in our lives. The Holy Spirit was sent by Christ to empower the church and the early believers, to empower us as believers to go public with our faith. That we were called to be the witnesses of what Christ has done. And so the Holy Spirit empowers the church even today to be witnesses and to testify of what God has done in our lives. And so it's estimated that Christianity grew by 40% each decade. Each decade it would grow by 40%. If you think that that's impossible, let me just give you a little church history for, for us, just this local body of believers. Remember this, that during our first full year here at DCC, January to December of 2007, our first full year, we grew by 47%, averaging 100 people to 147 people in one year's time. We grew by 47%. So when you hear those kind of numbers, it, it seems like it's doable, right? We, you, you claim that, that Christianity grew by 40% per decade, and in one year's time, we grew by 47%. And when you think of small numbers like that, 100 people to 147, it certainly makes you think that it's possible, that that could have happened. But, but after that, over the next decade, Destiny Community Church grew by 244%. Over the next 10 years... We grew by 244%. The early church, they started with 120. And now we have over 2 billion Christians worldwide. Over 2 billion Christians worldwide. And, and though that sounds amazing, reports are telling us that Christianity is dying. Washington Post reported that Christianity is on the decline in America. They said... The percentage of adults who describe themselves as Christians dropped by nearly eight percentage points in just seven years to about 
At the same time, the share of those who are not affiliated with a religion has jumped from 16% to about 23% in the same time period. The New York Times said, the truth is Christianity is declining in the United States. Americans are falling away from the church in unprecedented numbers. And when you read headlines like that, when you read articles that, that paint the, the, the future of the church in, 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 in such a bad way that, that, that this is, is, is not going to be able to recover, that Christianity is in, in, in a decline, this seems hopeless to us, and it feels like we are losing the battle, and it, it appears to us that the church is dying. In, in what seems like a totally unrelated subject, my wife is a sucker for celebrity death hoaxes. And in only God's timing, this happened last night. We stayed up watching the Gators lose by three points in the second round of the NCAA tournament. It's heartbreaking. So I still had a few more thoughts I wanted to put in my computer about today's sermon and so after the game and you have to understand Mandy was right there with me and, and Mariah was sitting there too and I'm convinced all they do they're just Caleb watching is all they're doing they're just watching for my son who's the student manager just seeing if he's you know wiping up sweat every game this year we're just seeing if he's wiping up sweat or handing a water bottle or whatever so they're they're Caleb watching so I'm over now the game's over and I'm, I'm sitting there on my computer Mandy now has an opportunity because she's not Caleb watching anymore. She's not watching the basketball game anymore. She now has an opportunity to get on her social media. It's been about two hours, two and a half hours since Mandy was on social media, which is a miracle all in itself. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm sitting at the table and I'm, I'm working on, on today's sermon and Mandy, just out of the blue, she says, did you hear? that Pamela Anderson passed away? 20 years ago, that would have probably been devastating to me. But, but <laughs> knowing my wife's news sources and how flaky they are, sketchy to the extreme, I'm no, I didn't even bat an eye. I didn't even acknowledge it. And Mandy just keeps talking, and she starts telling me, yes. Last week, they, she passed out in her home. They had to admit her into the hospital. She goes on to tell me that in the hospital, she went into cardiac arrest and she died. I said, Mandy, I don't know if I'm buying. I hadn't stopped. Mandy, I don't know if I'm buying that story or not. What's your source? Well, it says ABC News. Somewhat. Two minutes later. Oh, I guess it's a hoax. That's what she says. Oh, I guess it's a hoax. I'm not seeing it anywhere else. And I'm like, duh. <laughs> you know, we're a sucker for fake news, aren't we? And, and understand what I'm saying right here, because I don't want to lose anybody. This is not a political statement at all, okay? This is not political at all. We are suckers for fake news. We do. We, we love to hear fake news, because we, often we won't even look to see if, if it's a, a true claim or not. And, and we will just fall right into that trap. Just last week, NBC News reported that fake news spreads faster on social media than truth does. They said according to research performed by MIT, it took the truth about six times longer as falsehood to reach 
1,500 people. Six times longer for truth to reach 1,500 people than it, than it did for falsehood to reach them. For the report, they examined 126,000 stories tweeted by 3 million people more than 4.5 million times. And here's what they found. They found that false news stories were 70% more likely to be retweeted than true stories were. That means 70% of the time, we are more likely to spread lies than we are truth. That's, that's kind of, of the flesh nature, that we buy into that. And, and Jeremiah, the prophet, in chapter 7, verse 8, he gave us a warning with this. He said, behold, he said, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. You trust in deceptive words to no avail. Church, we've got to be careful on what we will buy into and what we will believe. With that said, don't buy into the lie that Christianity is dying. Church, listen to me. Don't believe that fake news, that Christianity is dying. They want you to believe that Christianity is going the way of the yellow pages or, 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 or even travel maps. No, that's not what's happening. The, the Baylor Institute for Studies of Religion found that the percentage of Christians attending or church attending Americans relative to overall population is more than four times greater today than it was in 1776 when our nation was birthed. I, I want to share that with you again because I want you to grab this. The study said that the percentage of church-attending Christians relative to overall population is more than four times greater today than it was in 1776 when our nation was birthed. The number of attendees in respect to the popula population size has continued to rise each and every decade over our nation's history right up until this present day. I, I, I know why. Because Jesus said in Matthew, he said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't matter what kind of fake news they want to throw at you about the church. They can tell you the church is in decline. They can tell you that people are not coming to the faith anymore. But it's a lie because Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So church, stop buying into the lies. Stop believing what they're trying to tell you. Secularism is wanting to plant seeds of discouragement into the hearts of believers. But I want you to know, the body of Christ is stronger than ever. The church is alive. The church is doing fine. And we are still storming the gates of hell and taking back what the enemy has taken from our lives. And I know this, even today, I believe that some of the prayers that you've been praying for your own life, that God is going to give you a breakthrough because I believe the church of Jesus Christ is alive and doing well. <laughs> Satan, Satan has always used fake news to discourage believers. He's always, it's, it's been his attempt from the beginning. He's always used fake news to discourage you. He'll tell you that your marriage is beyond repair. He will tell you that, that you will never recover from this financial despair that you're in right now. And he will tell you that you're never going to receive your healing. The enemy is filling your heart and your mind full of fake news. But Jesus said in John chapter 8, he says, Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. 
Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. Don't believe anything that he tries to put into your mind. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, don't you believe it. And the fake news always starts with Satan. So I could sit here today and I could tell you the miraculous stats of how the early church flourished even under heavy persecution. I could tell you the church grew by 40% every decade. I can fill your mind full of those impressive numbers and even try and convince you that Christianity is alive and well. But the truth is, when it comes to that one person that you want to reach so badly, you want to reach them with the love of Christ, but the discouragement that the enemy has filled your heart with leads you to believe that our faith is flatlined and that there's no hope for that person. I want you to know, if it's that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter, Jesus is still interested in them. He still died for them. He still pursues them. That unbelieving spouse that you may have, he hasn't given up. Maybe it's that hard-hearted brother, sister, parent, or friend, and you just think there's no possible way that they will ever trust Jesus Christ. And Satan will lead you to believe that they are immune to the virus of God's love that they cannot be convinced. And it does not matter how many people are infected, how many millions, even billions, know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You need to know God is still interested in that one. You're one. That one person that you have that you just think they are unreachable. Jesus even told a parable about the shepherd that would leave the 99 to go and find that one lost sheep. And I'll tell you, he's still searching for that one lost sheep today. He's still looking and his love and his heart still beats for that one person that you have on your mind right now that needs to know Jesus Christ loves them and that he died for them. God is still concerned with your one. The disciples of Jesus, they had put a lot of hope and a lot of trust in Jesus. He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. They watched him perform miraculous acts. They had a lot of faith in him, and they, they had hoped that he would be the one who would restore Israel, that once again the Jews would be in control of their, their own destiny, and, and, and they had hoped that, that Jesus was that Messiah that would bring that about. And even though he informed them that he must die, he told them that he must die, and he even told them that, that in three days he would be resurrected, but, but something happened this this untimely death, at least in their eyes, it was an untimely death of our faith's founder. It almost buried the church before it was even birthed. I know because I read in the scriptures of how discouraged the disciples were. It left them dismayed and doubtful. And one of those disciples that we read about today, his name was Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. And he said, unless I can touch his nail-scarred hands, or unless I can put my hand 
and his side where they pierced him. Unless I can feel those scars, I will not believe that he is the resurrected king. And then Jesus gives us the greatest example of how to reach a doubting Thomas in our own lives. And the answer is simple. You reach them through your scars. You reach them through your scars. You know, it's those things that that you've been through and they were tough. They were painful. And often you don't even want to relive them yourself. But through God's grace and God's mercy, you walked through that. You came through that storm in your life. You're on the other side of that now. As as I've said before, the scars, they hurt for a season because when they're open wounds, they're still painful. But, But when God heals those scars, they don't hurt anymore. Matter of fact, they're often tougher than what the skin was originally. And what we tend to do sometimes is we isolate our faith because we're We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to share our scars. Because sharing your scars, it requires you to show all of the mess that you've been through, all the hurt and all the pain and all the mistakes. It it requires you to be extremely vulnerable. But instead, the church, we've gotten really good at becoming vain. Because... We want to present to the world our perfect little lives. I'll tell you, that's done more damage in evangelism than probably anything else. Is that we've had, we've had preachers on TV, but we've had leaders in the church. We've had people in, in, in every aspect of ministry that they've tried to present their lives as something perfect. And an imperfect world can't buy into that. My life is full of scars. If I receive one comment about my ministry more than anything else is that, Pastor, you are very transparent because I have, I have shared with you the scars of my life and the scars of my past. But we are so vain that we don't want anyone to see our imperfections. But spreading the gospel and reaching that one, it requires you to become extremely vulnerable. That means that you are going to have to to look at that man that just cheated on his wife. And you are going to have to go to him and you're going to say, listen, I've been in that boat too. Here's the scars of my past. I want you to see them. I, I want you to feel them. You see, Jesus didn't just expose his scars for Thomas to see them. He said, take your hand. I want you to feel them. And when you start telling your story, people start feeling those scars in your life. And it's important that they feel the pain of that. And so you look at a couple that they're going through something that you've already been through and you look at them and you say, listen, this is where I was at and our home was broken, but through God's grace, here's where we're at today and we're still married and we're still moving forward. That means you look at someone that's battling cancer right now and and it does not look promising for them. And you share with them your story of chemotherapy and radiation and the surgeries and you show them your scars. But you don't leave it there. 
No, you testify of the goodness of what God did for your life and that you're still alive today because Christ healed you. He brought you through. You look at someone and you tell them, listen, I know you're in financial despair, but listen, here's my story. I was bankrupt. They foreclosed on my home. But look where I'm at today through God's grace. And it requires you to become that vulnerable. If you're going to reach that one, you've got to be willing to show them your scars. Because Thomas would not believe until he felt the scars of Christ. There was a little boy that came home from school with a notice that there was going to be a parent-teacher conference later that, that week, one evening. And so he reluctantly handed the letter to his mom, hoping that she would decline. She accepted. And when they walked into the classroom with all the other parents and students and the teacher, he went and hid in a corner so he didn't have to be near his mom. And the reason why is because his mom had a huge scar on one side of her face. And he was embarrassed about that scar. He didn't want anyone to see that that was his mom. But his mom walked into that room with confidence and she began making friends in the room and despite the scar, people fell in love with her because she just had a beautiful spirit about her. The little boy is still hiding in the corner hoping no one will associate them together and he overhears a conversation that the mom is having with the teacher. And in a very vulnerable conversation, the teacher asks, what happened? How did you get that scar? And the mom begins telling the story of where the scar came from. She said, when my son was just a small child, the room that he was in caught on fire and no one else would run into that room and that was my baby she said I ran into that room she said and as I was running into the room there was a beam that was falling and I laid across my son so the beam would not hit him and it laid burning on my face until a firefighter came in lifted the beam and pulled us both out to safety and the mom said, I wouldn't change a thing. This scar is just a reminder of how precious life is and that I almost lost my son. The entire time she's telling that story, the little boy is listening in the corner. And he couldn't contain himself. Suddenly, he wasn't ashamed of his mother anymore. She went from being a reproach to a hero in his eyes. And he ran to her, wrapped his arms around her legs, as if to say, Mom, thank you for saving me. I think Thomas had that moment. I really do. I won't believe 
who could possibly believe that someone came back to life? I won't believe until I touch the scars in his hands and on his side. And then Jesus says, Thomas, touch my scars. And I think he had that moment. Because he says, my Lord, my God. That man would end up dying for the gospel of Christ. Put his life on the line for it. Your scars will change somebody's life. And that one person that you have that needs Jesus, I challenge you to become very vulnerable with them. Let them know what you've been through, but don't stop there. Tell them what God did for you, of how he restored your life and brought you through the pain the agony, the mistakes, the trials, just just tell them, testify. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.